Hi, I'm Arlen Walker, and I'm live from Pelham's Wasteland, and today I'm going to do another week in reading report. I read three more books this week, or I, I finished three more books this week. I'm reading a whole bunch of books at once and kind of staggering the finishes, um, but yeah, um, I'm only going to talk about the books that I finish in a given week in general, I think. Um, so yeah, I finished three books this week. I finished An Empire Unacquainted with Defeat by Glenn Cook and Amaro, The First Amaro by Charles Saunders. Excuse me. And I finished uh, King Lear, another, a second read through of King Lear, of course, by uh, William Shakespeare. So yeah, I'm going to talk about those three books. So stay tuned for that. So the first one on, I think it was in the wee hours of Monday morning last Monday, um, not this Monday, um, I finished An Empire Unacquainted with Defeat by Glenn Cook, which was pretty good. Um, I've read some Glenn Cook, not a whole lot, not, not in a long time. Um, I read at least the first three books in the Black Company series. When I was in high school, and I think I read at least one of the Dread Empire novels back then, too. Um, liked them all right. I had some friends who were really into them, and I... Uh, I don't know. There's something something about Glenn Cook's style, I think, is a little bit... It kind of leaves me... Feels a little lacking, I think. And, and it, there's uh, one story in particular, the the first story in this collection, because this is a collection of kind of short stories and novellas um, that I think summed it up for me when there's a fight and the description of the fight is it lasted all of 20 seconds and then it's over. Um, as in the words, it lasted all of 20 seconds are the description of the fight and feeling like, you know, I'm here for, you know, heroic, violent fantasy, and this is what I get. This is, you know, this is, I'm not, I'm not reading, uh, not anything wrong with uh, reading, uh, as nothing wrong with Glenn Cook and his writing abilities, but I'm not really here for the, the characterization or the prose or anything like that so much as I am for the, you know, exciting fantasy violence and if that's lacking then anyway which is not to say that the characters are bad and the prose is fine and all that sort of stuff it's just not not really the draw i think of those books it's like a lot of fantasy it's you know heroic fantasy in the kind of howardian mold and that's another thing that's i think really interesting about this collection because it's all sort of short stories and some of them are connected to each other. Some of them are not. But it means that this collection sort of ties into the long tradition in fantasy writing of short stories and novellas and kind of shorter form writing that uh, I think sometimes is is kind of in danger within fantasy literature. I a lot of the stuff that I see talk people talking about fantasy series that they like, it's series. People talk about the fantasy that they like as these kind of you know, a collection of doorstoppers 
Wheel of Time is a great example. Each book is super long, and there's like 14 of them. And the idea that that's, to me, sort of one side of fantasy. That's sort of one extreme of fantasy writing as a, a form. And at the other end is something kind of more Howardian, more, you know, the sort of visceral, quick, short story that, you know, that, that feels kind of, you know, it's just a, a pulpy bite instead of uh, a whole week's worth of meals, if that makes sense. Um, so An Empire Unacquainted with Defeat, it was, it turned out to be pretty good. I felt like the first story was kind of the weakest. Um, and there's a little bit of, there's, I felt like the strongest stories were the ones where Glenn Cook didn't try to play any tricks or do anything particularly fancy. In some ways, some of the, what I gather from the limited description of the publishing history, some ways I felt like some of the early stories were the best that, um, they had a sort of kind of dark fairy tale folk tale quality to them. That was great. Um, and I really liked those, those stories that had that sort of quality. Um, there's one of them where there's some, uh, well, they're all there. Many of them are, are pretty grim stories in a lot of ways. Um, but there's one in particular where there's a, a sequence where a, uh, a young girl gets raped. That was hard to read. Um, just cause that, that to me, I don't know. It's one of those things that's like, you know, not not as interested in reading that part of. You can be kind of intellectually aware that that sort of stuff goes on with regard to like conquering armies and stuff like that, but not as interested in actually reading about it in particular. So, I don't know. It was a pretty good collection. Um, I would probably recommend it. I haven't read. Or if I've read any of the Dread Empire novels, I don't remember them basically at all. There, um, but it's it's kind of fairly predictable kind of fantasy world, except that it's it's an East versus West collision. The Dread Empire is this sort of like fantasy Tang China or Han China, and they're expanding into first the the kind of borderlands and then into a Western Europe that's a lot closer to China than. Um, in history. And so there's, you know, wars and struggles and the dread empire is sort of looming, but also the, the Western states are fractured and all that sort of stuff. And there's a fair bit of kind of Norse influence with the, the Trolladignians, I think is how you say, I don't remember for certain. It's a, a, a fancy name for uh, medieval Scandinavia. So anyway, um, An Empire Unacquainted with Defeat, pretty good. Not as good as Imaro by Charles Saunders, which is great. Super fun. Um, not perfect. I think at times it... Uh, one of the things about the pulp authors that I think doesn't get talked about enough is because they wrote short stories, they wrote a lot of short stories often. Many of these pulp authors and Robert E. Howard is one that comes to mind, but um, even like the, the collected fantasies of Clark Ashton Smith is like five big books full of his stories. Um, and Robert E. Howard wrote a lot 
and all that sort of stuff. And that has kind of multiple effects. One of them is that generally um, things can feel kind of unedited or under-edited or, or unpolished. But at the same time, you get authors who have a lot of practice. Um, I think it was Jack Vance, actually, who's kind of a, a later wave of pulp author, who said when he was starting out that he wanted to write I don't remember what his words were, but it calculates out to like 3,000 words a day, which is a lot. 3,000 words a day is a lot of writing. And I think one of the effects of that is that many of these pulp authors got pretty good at, you know, the practice thing, right? They, they essentially had practiced a lot because they had written a lot, um, and that's something that I think gets lost sometimes when talking about them. But anyway, I, I say that to say that Imaro, I think its only flaw is that Charles Saunders did not have a chance to write, you know, 3,000 words a day for five years or whatever it was that Jack Vance wrote um, and get that kind of practice because there's moments that feel just a little amateurish um, moments that feel a little bit like he doesn't, he does, he doesn't ever do the, the fight was over in 20 seconds type thing that I mentioned in the Glenn cook thing, but he does at times have a little bit of like, you know, the, the blade moved so quickly. It would have skewered tomorrow if he had still been there. And he does that sort of thing kind of just a little too often kind of falls back on the same way of, describing in a, in a, a similar sense to the fights um, that doesn't always feel uh, fresh the way that I think uh, Robert E. Howard, one of his great strengths is that the violence always feels kind of fresh and, and visceral. And, you know, you can, you can almost smell the iron in the blood that's gushing and all that sort of stuff. Um, Imaro doesn't, doesn't, I think hit those heights, but at the same time, Imaro has a real thematic depth that Howard never uh, really aspires to very much, or when he does, it's kind of racist. Um, thinking about a particular Solomon Kane story with, with that one. Um, but Imaro, Imaro is a, he's uh, black and he's from a fantasy version of sub-Saharan Africa and he's a loner. And there's a lot of stuff about him being alone in the wilderness and him trying to find acceptance among his people and other peoples and all that sort of stuff. And him never really being able to get that, that it seems very easy to read into that Charles Saunders feelings of being a, a black reader of science fiction and fantasy. Um, especially the kind of Howardian pulpy stuff that he clearly liked and was interested in. And so there's a, a sort of racial and a, a gender element too. There's one really great moment where Imaro sort of has captured this slave woman and then he gets exiled and then there's, there's a whole snafu, but he basically says, why didn't you, you know, stand by me? And she sort of says, you've, you, you know, killed my whole family and taken me hostage. I don't have, any protection anymore except kind of allying myself with the the strongest and there's a sort of a real sort of bite back to the sort of standard conan thing of the the girl kind of swooning in conan's arms and the idea that that's 
you know, not just kind of that it's, it's sort of, well, that it's misogynistic, but also that it's, uh, a product of a, a deeply patriarchal society in a way that, um, there's, there's a sort of gendered component to the, these relationships that's important to recognize. And it's, there's a couple of moments like that that are like, Oh, it's, it's really clear that Charles Saunders has kind of thought about this and is thinking about this and is trying to sort of, um, I won't say reclaim the legacy because I, I kind of hate when people talk about that with certain authors, because I don't think it's reclaiming, but reinterpreting a tradition within sci-fi and fantasy in a different light. Um, so to that end, Amaro really succeeds. Um, so yeah, I would definitely recommend Amaro. It's super fun. Um, great fun reading. And then also it's super cool to read kind of black sci-fi fantasy. Cause there isn't a whole lot of that. So, um, I mean, there's, I say there isn't a whole lot of that. There's enough that if you get deep into it, there's definitely, Plenty to keep you occupied, you know, Samuel Delaney and Octavia Butler and um, who is the guy who wrote Meiji? I can't remember, but he's another. And then there's a, a collection that I have. And then there's obviously newer authors. Um, I think N.K. Jemison. Uh, anyway, I'm getting, I'm losing track. What I wanted to say is Amar is super fun. Read it. Uh, a strong recommendation from me. Um, and then finally King Lear, which uh, I had read at least some of before I took a class in college called Shakespeare's Kings. And one of the, the plays that we talked about was King Lear. So I was sort of familiar with what happens, but it had been a while and it's not one that I had ever had as strong uh, feeling of identification with as some of the others, um, particularly things like, like Julius Caesar with Brutus and Hamlet to some degree and Coriolanus. Definitely um, a lot of the Roman plays uh, Titus Andronicus. I love uh, it's violent and awesome, um, but that I had never, never, um, I don't know. King Lear hadn't kind of ticked for me and, and it did tick for me a much more so this time reading it through. So that was good. Um, it's a great play, a capital G great in the sense of being great literature and also great as in super fun. Um, it's weird. There's a lot of weird stuff going on. There's kind of, there's a real thing in Shakespeare about kings and violence and the the capacity for violence. And I think Lear is a really interesting demonstration of that because right near the end, for those of you who don't know the story, um, Cordelia, who is Lear's youngest daughter, who has been fighting a war against the two older daughters, she and Lear are both captured and she is killed, but Lear ends up killing the guy who killed her. Um, and there's a sense that this kind of 80-year-old man is still he's still a fighter. He's still got it. And, and that is tied in very closely with Edgar and Edmund's fight. And, um, Edmund sort of shows that he's not the rightful heir because he can't 
fight as well as Edgar can. That Edgar, Edgar, the the rightful heir, has a a capacity for violence that uh, negates Edmund's claim in some way. Um, to go along with the idea of kings being speakers, that kings are also um, fighters, and and that kind of twinned element of speaking and fighting is important, I think, in Shakespeare. And it's important in a lot of Shakespeare. I mean, Hamlet's another obvious example. Hamlet um, hits Laertes twice before Laertes is able to get a hit in against him um, in their fight. And it's it's really clear that that's, that's because Hamlet has, has been and in some ways is and um, whether or not he has been kingly before, he is definitely in the mode of Shakespeare's Kings by the end of the play. Um, he's a better fighter than Laertes and that's important. Um, and in the same way, you know, Othello is the mightiest of the Othello who's not a King, but Othello who is the mightiest of the, is it Venice, Venetian Navy? I think so. Um, anyway, there's, there's something to be said. And then of course, Henry V, Henry V, is such a fascinating character all the way, partly because we see him kind of all the way through his uh, young life. Um, and in particular, when he defeats uh, Harry Percy Hotspur and Percy is unable to finish his last line and Prince Hal, who will be Henry V, does it for him. And there's a great sense of kind of the combination of ability to speak and pronounce and, and the kind of kingliness associated with uh, great speeches alongside the ability to fight that, that Prince Hal has beaten Harry Percy. who was supposed to be the best fighter around and Prince Hal has shown that he's a, a, a better fighter that he's, that he's the real deal. He's the, going to be king because he's a warrior um anyway complicated stuff um and i don't have the patience right now to to write up something kind of longer about that and you probably aren't as interested in hearing that as i am interested in kind of analyzing that but that's okay that's you know this this I don't know what this podcast is about anymore, but seems unlikely that you guys are here to hear about my theories of Shakespeare's kings. Anyway, um, but yeah, King Lear, great stuff. I also watched the uh, version on Amazon Prime with Anthony Hopkins as Lear and then a bunch of other famous British actors as basically everybody in the play. Um Anthony Hopkins as Lear, so good. It's just a he's he's so good. Um, and the whole the whole production was really good. Um, I liked it quite a bit. Um, that has my recommendation also that you should if you are interested, if you're not interested in reading King Lear, watch the I think it's 2018 production with uh, Hannibal Lecter. And Titus Andronicus, that's one of the, the funny things. Anthony Hopkins 
plays, of course, Hannibal Lecter famously, but he also played Titus Andronicus in Titus. And Titus Andronicus is also, I, I guess, I don't know if he's a cannibal, but he serves human meat. So the distinction might be kind of unimportant there. Anyway, he's great in that too. Titus is uh, great fun also. Uh, a strong recommendation of that. It's very weird. Um, it's got this kind of surreal quality to all of it and this kind of strange like 30s Mussolini Italy thing as well as like a weird 90s rave vibe at times. And yeah, Titus is pretty weird, but it's a lot of fun. Anyway, um, yeah, King Lear. King Lear is quality stuff and it was fun to read. And it ties into my uh, G. Wilson Knight project where I'm reading um, the Wheel of Fire essays in Shakespearean tragedy by G. Wilson Knight. I read the the Shakespeare play and then sometimes watch a film version of it or something like that. And then I read the chapter in G. Wilson Knight's book on the particular play and go, oh, this is all the stuff that I missed. Um, so I'm going to keep on doing that. All right. I think we're ready for the outro. All right. That's it. That's all I got. That's the whole thing. If you want to get in contact with me, you know how to do it. It's uh, Twitter at Cows from Powis or use whatever uh, platform you're listening on to get a hold of me. And uh, I will try to respond to comments and questions and all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah. Hope you are weathering the current situation well. Hope you're uh, doing better than I am some days, because some days it's pretty rough for me, and I think I'm going to do another podcast episode about that next. Um, but uh, yeah, I uh, will see you guys later. So take care. I've been Arlen Walker. I've been live from Pelham's Wasteland, and I will see you next time. Take care, everybody.